Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Granby Reads U2 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on August 5th, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Ms. Ruth Martin. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Crombie Reed's second quarter conference call and webcast. Thank you for joining us. This call is being recorded in live audio and is available on our website at www.crombiereed.com. Slides to accompany today's call are available on the investors section of our website under presentations and events. On the call today are Don Clough, President and Chief Executive Officer, Clinton Kay, Chief Financial Officer and Secretary, and Glenn Hines, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements. As always, we want to caution you that such statements are based on management's assumptions and beliefs. These forward-looking statements are subject to uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from such statements. Please see our public filings, including our annual information form for a discussion of these risk factors. I will now turn the call over to Dawn, who will begin our discussion with comments on Crombie's overall strategy and outlook. Glenn will follow with a development update and a review of Crombie's operating fundamentals and results. Clinton will then discuss our financial results, capital allocation, and approach to funding, and Dawn will conclude with a few final remarks. Over to you, Dawn. Thank you, Ruth. And good day, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our second quarter conference call. We are very pleased with Crombie's performance during the second quarter. It is not possible to look at the last year without acknowledging the impact of the pandemic on our economic, business, and social environment. The retail REIT space has become more bifurcated over the course of the pandemic, with grocery-anchored retail emerging stronger than ever. Crombie's major tenants stayed open and mostly thrived, which allowed us to do the same. Our focus on curating an optimal asset mix of empire-anchored retail combined with mixed-use residential and retail-related industrial properties in Canada's top urban markets continues. And this quarter, we were fortunate to see significant cap rate compression due to evidence of transactions in the private real estate markets. During the second quarter, we saw a fair value increase of approximately $176 million, or 3.6% driven primarily by cap rate compression of grocery-anchored properties. This excludes fair value growth expectations from our first major developments, which we expect will continue to come online over the remainder of 2021 and throughout 2022. The strength of this asset class has been highlighted throughout the pandemic for several reasons, including the resilience of everyday needs retailers, the importance of lease term and covenant, and the opportunity for growth. We're delighted by this value surge in grocery anchor properties as it is a solid complement to the fair value growth we anticipate will come from our ongoing development activities. We expect our development projects to contribute significant fair value growth, which we are in the midst of delivering as projects reach substantial completion and lease up progresses to stabilization. We often refer to the work we do in terms of the importance of a strong defense and a strong offense, and our strategy enables us to do both well. Our strong defense is rooted in our grocery anchored portfolio, which has proven resilient during the toughest of crises, like we have seen over the last 18 months, and the improvement of our financial condition over time, which Glenn and Clinton will speak to in detail. Before they do, though, I want to highlight our overall operating metrics, which are driven by our strong fundamentals and the work our team continues to do on lowering our leverage, as is evidenced by our declining debt to gross fair value ratio and the improvement in our debt to trailing 12-month adjusted EBITDA. Our results were solid this quarter, driven by a continued commitment on the part of our operations and leasing teams to high-quality, service-focused site management. 
leasing renewal numbers, thanks to the fine work of these teams to meet the needs of our tenants and their customers. This defense results in a high quality operating cash flow, as well as a balance sheet and financial stability that positions us well for the long term. Grocery anchored real estate has historically been thought of as, as stable with slow growth, but we are determined to prove that Crombie can not only be stable during crisis, but also strong during periods of higher economic growth. Going on offense includes operating well, maximizing the value of our strategic relationship with Empire, building a first-class development program, and strong asset management through select acquisitions and dispositions to improve our portfolio over time and to help fund our strategy. Our relationship with Empire is our sustainable competitive advantage. and This offers us continuing opportunity to drive growth. We remain committed to investing 100 to 200 million annually with Empire on strategic and accretive investments in the modernization, acquisition, expansion, and conversion of their grocery stores to improve their competitiveness, including the conversions to the Freshco discount format in Western Canada and the Farm Boy banner in Ontario. Accelerating Empire's build-out of their online grocery home delivery service, voila, land use intensifications, and the unlocking of major developments. Our major development program is hitting its stride as we reach substantial completion on our first projects and continue to work on the next six near-term projects while pushing forward ongoing entitlement work. I eagerly await the next stage of our development program where we continue to target to spend 150 to 250 million annually to accelerate NAV and AFFO growth. Lastly, our asset management has been savvy and timely to support our portfolio improvement and at time help fund our business. Our success this quarter can be attributed to the outstanding work of the people on our Crombie team. Regardless of where they work, on site, at a kitchen table, or behind a desk, we know that we can rely on them to turn out incredible work for the team. Past 18 months have been difficult for employers and employees. I'm so grateful for the Crombie team who has risen to every challenge. We have increased our internal communications and ensured that our employees have the resources to cope with the physical and mental impacts of this, this extended public health crisis. We remain committed to the health and safety of our employees and visitors to our sites in recognition that COVID-19 pandemic will be with us in some form for the months ahead. In response to that, we are one of hundreds of Canadian companies participating in rapid testing consortium at our Scotia Square office in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where all Crombie employees will complete twice-weekly COVID tests to ensure the ongoing safety of our team and on-site visitors. The best teams work together, offensively and defensively, to succeed. We're a long-term company, and our team has remained committed to our strategy, despite the challenges of COVID and an ever-changing economy. I'm proud of the work we do at Crombie and our continued pursuit of excellence. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Glenn, who will provide an update on our developments and operational highlights. Thank you, Don, and good day, everyone. Occupancy levels remained high in the second quarter, with committed occupancy at 96.2% and economic occupancy at 95.6%. New leases and expansions increased occupancy by 510,000 square feet, while we experienced just 155,000 square feet of net lease expiries vacancies, terminations, and space adjustments. Notable new lease activity in the quarter was 42,000 square feet of development leases opening at Avalon Mall, Halifax Regional Municipality moving into our top 20 tenants with new locations in our Halifax, Nova Scotia complex, and Dollarama becoming our third largest tenant with their newest location at Loch Lomond Place in St. John, New Brunswick. At the end of the quarter, 118,000 square feet was committed at an average first-year rate of $17.83 per square foot, which will boost future NOI growth throughout 2021. Bechtom and major markets represent 57,000 square feet of committed space, including an additional 25,000 square feet at our Scotia Square complex in Halifax. During the quarter, 234,000 square feet of renewals were completed at an increase of 3.4% over expiring rental rates. Driving this growth was 120,000 square feet of renewals at retail plazas with an increase of 4.6% over expiring rental rates. An increase of 6.3% was achieved for renewals in the quarter 
when comparing expiring rental rates to the average rental rate for the renewal term. Year to date, Crombie demonstrated portfolio stability with approximately 51.1% of renewals occurring in Beckdom and major markets. Renewal activity consisted of 621,000 square feet with an increase of 3.1% over expiring rental rates or growth of 6.7% when comparing the expiring rental rates to the average rental rate for the renewal term. Property development is a strategic priority for Crombie as it drives NAV and AFFO growth while increasing our presence in the country's top urban markets and diversifying our overall portfolio. With the majority of new tenants open, the grand reopening of Avalon Mall took place from June 24th to June 27th and included various community-oriented activities and celebrations to commemorate this great achievement. Overall, it was a great success with high traffic counts and strong sales reported by our tenants. One highlight of the event was the donation made on behalf of Crombie, our tenants, and our customers to First Light Center of Performance and Creativity, a nonprofit organization that serves the urban, indigenous, and non-indigenous community alike by providing programs and services rooted in the revitalization, strengthening, and celebration of indigenous cultures and languages. The skilled team at West Bank continues to work hard on the lease-up of Zephyr, the residential component of our Davie Street property. As of July 31st, approximately 90% of units have been leased at strong rental rates in the mid $4 per square foot range, which are above our initial pro forma. We are very pleased with the progress to date and have a lot to be proud of as Zephyr has leased up quickly with stabilization expected before the end of this year. Progress is being made at our Leduc and Bronte Village projects as they remain on track and on budget with the first residential tenants taking occupancy at both locations in the third quarter. Substantial completion is expected to be achieved in the third quarter for Leduc and in the fourth quarter for Bronte Village. In late June, the Sobe store conversion was completed at Bronte Village and Farm Boy opened for business. In late 2020, Empire announced the expansion of their online grocery home delivery service, Voila, to Western Canada. At the end of June, our development momentum continued with the acquisition of a 25-acre site in Calgary, Alberta, which will be the home of Empire's third CFC. Construction is currently underway with delivery to customers expected in 2023. We are committed to unlocking significant land value embedded in our major urban market grocery stores as we continue our work to entitle upwards of 10 additional projects across Canada, generating opportunities to continue our development program. And with that, I will now turn the call over to Clinton, who will highlight our second quarter financial results and discuss our capital and development funding approach. Thank you, Glenn, and good day, everyone. Strong collection rates continue with 99% collected in the second quarter of 2021 and 99% for July. Despite lockdowns and increased restrictions across the country for a large portion of the second quarter, our collections reached pre-pandemic levels, a true reflection of our stable portfolio. On a cash basis, same asset NOI increased by 7.2% for QT. Primary drivers of this growth are a reduction in bad debt expense, strong occupancy, and modernization income. Adjusting for bad debt expense and parking revenue in 2020, same asset cash NOI is flat compared to the same period in 2020. For the quarter, AFFO per unit was $0.23 cents and FFO per unit was $0.27. Cents. AFFO and FFO payout ratios were 97.3% and 81.7% respectively. AFFO and FFO in the quarter were impacted by improving net property income due to lower bad debt expense and income from completed developments and modernizations. This is offset in part by higher unit-based compensation costs, finance costs, continued reduced parking revenue primarily at Scotia Square, and a loss from equity-accounted investments resulting from a drag in operating results at our Davie Street residential development project of approximately $500,000 for the quarter as it moved towards stabilization. Second quarter FFO and DFFO per unit metrics were diluted when compared to the first quarter of 2021 due to the equity issuance in May. GNA as a percentage of property revenue for the second quarter was 7.4% or 7.4 million. 
Unit-based compensation, including in GNA, increased approximately 800,000 from the same quarter last year. GNA, excluding unit-based compensation in the quarter, would be 5.1% of property revenue and 4.0% on a year-to-date basis. Crombie continues to reduce risk and maintain financial strength with a strong and flexible balance sheet, supported by our improved financial condition and ample liquidity at the end of the quarter. Our unencumbered asset pool is approximately $1.4 billion, or 27% of Crombie's total fair value of investment properties of $5.1 billion. Our debt-to-gross fair value at the end of Q2 was 46%, a significant improvement from 49.4% at Q4 2020. The primary drivers of the improvement in our leverage ratio were a material year-to-date increase of $291 million in fair value of investment properties and joint ventures and significant debt repayment funded by the $100 million equity issuance in May 2021. Crombie has always viewed grocery anchored assets as strong, stable assets with the potential for growth and our team has worked hard to build a top quality portfolio. The pandemic highlighted the strength of grocery anchored assets and the strong desire for these assets is supported by an abundance of market activity driving cap rate compression. The cap rate movement was a primary contributor to the increase of approximately $176 million, or 3.6%, in our fair value during the quarter. On May 19th, Crombie closed a $100 million equity financing at a price of $16.60 per unit, the highest issuance price in the organization's history. The issuance was very successful with funds being utilized in the short term to reduce outstanding indebtedness, improving our debt metrics, while supporting empire-related initiatives and our development pipeline. We ended the quarter with debt to trailing 12-month adjusted EBITDA at 9.12 times. The increase in trailing 12-month EBITDA is driven by the sizable reduction in bad debt expense of approximately $8.7 million included in Q2 2020. Crombie remains committed to maintaining our investment-grade credit rating, as evidenced by our equity raise in May and yesterday's announcement of the reintroduction of a 3% discount in our drip. We plan to be regular issuers of equity in the future. Crombie has access to multiple sources of capital to fund our development pipeline into the future. We have increased our communications with DBRS to reestablish our stable trend and ultimately move closer to our goal of achieving a triple B mid credit rating within the next three to five years. While external risks remain present given the recent pandemic, we will prudently manage the financial levers within our control. Continued growth in development activity is important to Crombie, as we anticipate it will deliver strong NAV growth and ultimately achieve strong AFFO growth once these projects are stabilized. I will now turn the call over to Don for a few closing comments. Thank you, Clinton. In closing today, I'd like to thank our team for their ongoing commitment to Crombie's values and the work they do to deliver on our strategy every day. It is remarkable to step back and look at how our organization has evolved over the past 18 months. This quarter, we published our inaugural sustainability report, which highlights much of the good work we do to achieve our vision of enriching communities sustainably through tangible actions and an ethical and diverse culture. While this was the first year we formally reported, sustainability has been core to Crombie's business practices since our inception. From an environmental perspective, our properties have always been located at what we refer to as Main and Main, which provides convenient access to our tenants' customers and minimizes the need for and the impact of transportation in those communities. Our Scotia Square Complex in Halifax is a shining example of the work we've done to set, invest in, and achieve environmental goals for over a decade. From a governance perspective, we believe as we always have in white glove governance with strict policies that ensure high standards and strong risk management. We ask all employees and trustees to adhere to a comprehensive code of conduct and business ethics to commit to doing what's right in the long term, even if it's hard in the short term. From a social perspective, we have worked incredibly hard to attract, develop and retain a diverse team and provide a safe, inclusive space for those employees. This work we've done to build a strong culture paid off greatly over the course of the pandemic. People leaders at Crombie knew we could depend on our teams to work hard and do what was right for themselves, their families, and Crombie, while also keeping their communities safe and healthy, and our results speak for themselves. We're excited by our future opportunities and confident in the sustainable future we are building 
at Crombie. That concludes our prepared remarks. We're now happy to answer any of your questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, will we now begin the question and answer session. Should you have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchstone phone. You will hear three tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be pulled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Mario Sarek with Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or 7 Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi, Mario. Uh, I just wanted to focus uh, some of the initial uh, questions on the fair value gain uh, this quarter. I think you provided new disclosure on page eight of the MDNA in terms of arriving to a 5.68% cap rate, uh, broken down by major market, Vectom, and, and other. Uh, do, you, do you have that breakdown handy for Q1 of this quarter just to see how uh, that 18 basis point decline kind of varied across the various characterizations? Uh, sorry, I mean, I, I just to say, Mario, it was pretty level across the board. Um, as you know, our portfolio is primarily grocery anchored. Um, and in my mind, let, let's be clear, this was a minimal change in fair value, um, or there was a minimal change in fair value from development, so it was primarily a portfolio. Um, and so hopefully we have a you know continued fair value recognition coming from development over the next you know, a few quarters as our properties are completed or reach substantial completion and then also reach income stabilization is a bit staggered. <clears throat> and so both the completed developments and the ones that are about to be complete have, you know, some fair value uh, bumps uh, to come. Um, and the other thing I'd like to say is that, you know, I think this is just an indicator that grocery anchored retail uh, separated itself from the rest of retail to some degree as an asset class. Um, because anecdotally, we've seen some grocery transactions that we know pretty well uh, reflect cap rate compression of over 100 basis points versus two years ago. And so the cap rate compression we've reflected, you know, in that 18 to 22 basis points is, is pretty reasonable. Um, and so I think it's an ongoing evolution of the space uh, that's happening, and uh, we're pretty pleased with our asset management decisions over the last you know, really over the last decade to transition to greater investment in grocery and, and then the urban mixed-use development. Uh, Donnie, do you have any sense uh, in that private market uh, activity that you referred to, what, what the quantum of total private market grocery-anchored activity was maybe year-to-date? Uh, I, the, the, I don't have the total. What I do know is there's, uh, there's a, a number of transactions, and I know of one that's nine figures. Um, so... There's, you know, it's into the nine figures. I don't have the total uh, off the top of my head, Mario. We can try to gather that from you, but I know there's at least one transaction well over, you know, it's over $100 million. It's, it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, yep. And so um, it's strong evidence. And uh, I think you mentioned that very little of the, the $176 million fair value gain related to uh, ongoing developments or just recently completed developments um, when we talk about Zephyr. Uh, and you've also kind of highlighted $1 to $2 of fair value per unit upside from these developments in the past. Uh, how, how comfortable are you with that range today? And, and do you have more or less conviction in perhaps hitting the upper part of that range as time passes and as you lease up to these assets? Yeah, so let's be clear. Very, We, we did recognize some in Q4 from one of our developments, some more in Q1 from another. Um, and then we've still got a ways to go in the remainder of those first six. Uh, and I'm actually, from what I'm seeing in the market, it feels like it's closer to the upper end of that range uh, than, you know, the lower end for sure. Um, just because rents, um, especially in Zephyr, as Glenn said, our rents are, 
you know, mid but mid uh, higher fours a square foot, and we're 90% leased. Uh, and cap rates are, you know, very strong. I mean, ultra strong. Uh, so, you know, there's more potential fair value appreciation to be recognized there. But um, so I'm feeling very comfortable with uh, the range, and I'm very, you know, I, I feel, you know, comfortable it should at the end of the day be in that upper end of the range. Got it. Okay. And then maybe one clarification for Clinton, just on Zephyr. Uh, did you indicate that it resulted in about a half a million of negative FFO during the quarter? Uh, yeah, it would have been uh, in our notes to the Mansell Note 4 for joint ventures. Yeah, 562000 was our share. Okay. Uh, that's it for me. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mario. Thanks, Mario. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Chad Woolley with National Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks, Al. Um, just to uh, talk a bit about the uh, industrial uh, portfolio, can you remind me again how many uh, CFCs that Empire is targeting, like over for a national rollout of voila? Yeah, what we've heard publicly from the leadership at Empire is that they're targeting four CFCs, and there's obviously one that's open in Toronto, another boat open in Montreal, one we're building in Calgary, and then the fourth is in a city to be named later, um, but likely in British Columbia. So, um, you know, that's what we've heard, and, and then obviously CFCs built around them. And the the Toronto CFC has not been dropped down to you, correct? Uh, it is not. No, no, it's owned by a private developer. Okay, so uh, uh, that that's not owned by Empire. It is right. not. Okay, got it. Um, and then I was just wondering, with Empire's acquisition of Longos, they also have the grocery gateway business. Do they have any of those types of assets that would make sense for Crombie to acquire? Uh, you know, I can't really speak to that. At this stage, we don't have uh, ongoing conversations about uh, those types of opportunities. So um, we do have strategic discussions with Empire about, you know, all of the real estate, but it's, I don't think that's a big opportunity for us, to be truthful. Okay. And then uh, for the Calgary site, do you have an estimate of, like, what you think construction costs might look like? Um, I think it's uh, well. I'll turn it over to Glenn, but I, I, my gut tells me it's roughly the same as the last uh, CFC. But we can't uh, honestly disclose the detail. But Glenn, maybe any additional? Comments? Yeah, we're very uh, we're very pleased. Um, as you know, Tal, there's been um, both reality and worry about cost inflation. Uh, we were early out of the gate in ordering key inputs like steel, both for supply, guaranteeing supply, but also guaranteeing price. So we're off to a great start. We learned a lot from building CFC2 in Montreal. We've taken a ton of those learnings that will both allow us to build this building uh, on a faster timeline, but also on a competitive cost. So uh, I can't give any more specifics, but we're very pleased with where we're at. We've got a budget that's been set some months ago, and we believe we'll actually beat that budget. So we're very optimistic because we, as you know, started this project in the midst of some fairly worrisome cost inflation but so far so good and we're well along. Okay. And then uh, for the resi assets that are completing this year, like I, I was, I drove by the Oakville property, I don't know, it's probably about six, seven weeks ago. And, you know, the farm boy was just getting completed and it looked like maybe you were starting pre-leasing on the um, residential part. Can you, can you speak at all to pre-leasing activity at both Bronte and Leduc? Sure. Uh, but I really want to emphasize these are still both construction sites. Um, yeah. We have some real trooper tenants that are uh, starting to move in in Q3 at, at both buildings. Our expectation is that we will be substantially complete uh, in uh, Duke in Montreal in Q3. And that will likely be sort of a two-phase occupancy, the lower half floors first and then the upper half floors. So we'll be pushing com substantial completion in Q3. But we have a small number of, uh, of tenants already in occupancy, which allows us to work out the kinks, et cetera. But really, uh, we're just very early days. Bronte, we're expecting to have substantial completion in Q4 and same situation. Um, so uh, we actually think timing-wise, it's encouraging because COVID hopefully is 
getting to the end where there's much more mobility, much more people out and about wanting to see the units, um, and also we're getting towards substantial completion. But it's, it's too early to be talking about uh, occupancy levels. But we're really delighted with Zephyr, with just the, the pace, et cetera. We're over 90% leased, and Don mentioned the rents in that mid $4 range. Um, that's tracking extremely well, and we're optimistic for both Duke and Bronte. More units at Duke and Bronte, so there's probably going to be a longer stabilization period. There's 480 units at Bronte, 390 at Duke. So it's going to be a little bit longer than the 330 units in Vancouver. But all in all, we're very satisfied with where we're at. And can you give us an estimate of, like, uh, average asking rents at both at both sites for now? I would say ballpark. Um, we are in the um, mid $3 range uh, starting point in the Oakville market. And in the Montreal market, we're very high in the $2 range uh, would be sort of the starting point uh, for those. And those are... Uh, clearly, you no know, market rents for uh, the quality of building in the neighborhoods where they're located. Okay, and then just my last question: um, you, you know, you guys want to, you know, keep your foot down on the gas with respect to development. Um, you know, you did the equity raise this year. The stocks had a really good run, um, and you talked about, you know, like you you feel you've got access to several channels of capital to help fund you, um, you know, prior to this point, you had really relied on, you know, dispositions in a big way to uh, raise capital in the past. How should we think about going forward? So, you know, it's all the, uh, anytime you introduce new growth platforms like Crombie did uh, four to five years ago, um, namely the accelerated investment in Sobeys and our major mixed-use development, you can occasionally, you know, have a little bit of stress on the balance sheet, and uh, it takes time, I think, for investors to understand it. It takes time for rating agencies to understand it, and honestly, everybody requires proof of execution. So for us, the good news is we've proved the execution, and we've, you know, we funded it again using those multiple sources of capital that are still all available to us and continue to be, I think, priced very well at a, at a low cost of capital. So overall, our financing or sorry our overall our strategy hasn't changed and our financing strategy you know is really first and foremost working with our ratings agency to help them understand the significant changes in our business which takes some time uh, but then just continuing on to issue equity on a regular basis we'll continue with uh, which includes the drip as you know which we just implemented yesterday or re-implemented the discount on yesterday as well as dispositions as well as continuing to tap the markets and all forms of debt so I won't. I can't give you any guidance other than we're in good shape. Uh, as you see, our you know balance sheet metrics have improved as we come, you know, through the 12-month uh, trailing from Q2, and you see our debt EBITDA coming down. So those all those things are really what was you know intended to happen before COVID, and you know that caused a little bit of stress in the short term. But I think overall we're fine, and the strategy hasn't changed either from an overall real estate strategy or a financing strategy perspective. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, we're in very strong condition. And I think we have, you know, again, that unique sustainable competitive advantage, which is the relationship with Sobeys, gives Crombie an opportunity to allocate capital very well in very good places. And uh, so our strategy isn't as much about how we allocate capital, which we've been very clear about. It's just how you continue to fund it at a good solid pace and, and do so well that people, uh, understand and respect, which I think we're doing and have done very well over the last you know, number of years as oh. we've evolved. What was the take up on the drip prior to it being uh, taken off? Yeah, it would have, I probably recall we're in like the high 20s uh, percent range. And Empire was not, and so obviously Empire was not participating on the drip. They will, they will share proportionally in terms of the drip. Okay. They'll, Got they'll it. maintain their 41.5%. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Your next question comes from Sumaya Syed with CIBC. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, so, Don, you spoke, um, spoke about uh, having multiple sources of capital available, um, but given the cap rate compression we've observed, could we see the REIT uh, take advantage and be a bit more active on uh, dispositions? 
You know, what we've always said is we've got multiple sources and uh, we will dabble from time to time. I always say when you're in doubt, dabble. And, you know, it's a line I've heard from uh, our former chair, Frank Sobey, give him full credit for the line. But it's basically that you're using a mix of options and you're picking your spots. And so, yeah, you know, we've done dispositions almost every year, some years a little higher than others. Um, the interesting part is that our dispositions are now taking different forms. Um, and so we now have uh, obviously income producing properties that are, uh, as we're seeing with grocery, much more easily sold and at, you know, values that are much higher than we purchased them for. But also importantly, people have to realize we have entitled land that's starting to come into our potential sale pipeline. And even though it may be trading off a little bit of future growth to fund the development business or to fund uh, you know, uh, current developments, whatever, it's, that is an opportunity too. We've bought a lot of land in, uh, as you know, in Vancouver and, uh, and other, other major cities across the country. And some of those are, you know, call it low value because uh, they're single story grocery stores, but they're sorry, high value, but low density. And if they transition to high density, the values are very high. So for us, that's another option that's coming on stream as we get entitled land, we will potentially take our shot at selling one of those just to prove the concept, but to also help fund the business going forward. And we think about it as giving up growth from year 10 to 15 uh, or further out uh, rather than, you know, growth that's, you know, really current uh, at times. But, you know, anyway, the bottom line is that we have multiple sources and some new ones and we'll take advantage of them as, as we see, as we see the opportunity come up. Right, and I'm sure uh, lots of uh, interest on the on the land there. Um, and then just uh, just wondering on the cap rate side, uh, where do cap rates for the industrial in your portfolio sit, and um, have there been any movements there that you can uh, speak to? You know, I think industrial in general is highly desirable. It's uh, you know arguably number one, two, or three. I think of industrial apartments and grocery, and not necessarily in that order. It, it changes as the most three most desirable types of real estate in Canada today, um, or maybe development land as well. Um, and so the cap rates on that have generally been compressing, um, and you know uh, so, and it's primarily because of rental growth and uh, and and shortage of supply. And that condition hasn't changed dramatically, so I suspect it's you know there's there's continuing compression. So I, I can't speak to specifically our assets because I don't want to get that detailed. I apologize, but it's it's a good situation for us. We like the asset mix where we're transitioning to you know five to ten percent of our portfolio being industrial because it's a strategic fit, but also that further cap rate compression will help us ultimately over time on a fair value basis. Right. And and then just as a reminder for me, what kind of uh, rent escalations are in the uh, retail industrial? And then would it be the same structure for the Voila spokes? Yes, Amaya. The typical uh, rental lifts are in the 75 to 10% range over uh, five years. That's the typical uh, retail-related industrial rental growth. I anticipate very similar, if not same, for CFC3. Okay, thank you. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Kyle Stanley with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good afternoon. Kyle. Uh, most of my questions have been addressed at this point, so just one kind of quick housekeeping item uh, for Clinton. Just wondering, were there any one-time or non-recurring items uh, within interest expense this quarter? Uh, not that we would have had in the past for any, no, I would say no. It just The only thing that would be happening is as these projects come to completion, we're no longer capitalizing interest. That's normal course. Okay, okay, no, that's helpful. Um, that's it for me, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Jenny Ma with BMO. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Jenny. So we've seen some of your peers get a little bit more creative in terms of financing some resi development. I'm just wondering, you know, when you see that out in the market uh, balanced with uh, your more attractive cost of capital, has there been any change in terms of how you approach partnerships or financing um, your condo or rental apartment projects going forward? 
Uh, I'd say that the answer is no, even though it may look like a yes. Um, I think everybody is seeing, I'll call it, you know, we've seen it for a number of years, but there's been a wall of capital looking for a home in real estate. And so these large mixed use developments uh, lend themselves well to large purveyors of capital who don't necessarily have the talent to develop it or don't have the sites and or the relationship with the tenants to unlock the value. And so as we've worked through our first three developments, we've done it with uh, partners that have you know, capital and the talent to actually execute on both the development and the operations. Uh, and we've said, I think, publicly on a number of occasions that we will not only consider those types of developments going forward or development partners going forward, but we will look at capital partners um, to take some of that pressure off the balance sheet that we, you know, I talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, and it's uh, so, we, so we have been in discussions with a number of partners. Um, primarily looking at long-term partners, people who want to do multiple of deals. Um, we just haven't pulled the trigger on any at this stage, but we have had you know, some just good discussions and uh, detailed discussions with a number of players. And I think it's a real option that we now, as Crombie's got a great team of development people, Glenn and his team, uh, Trevor Lee, our Senior Vice President of Development at West in Calgary, has developed a strong development team where we feel comfortable with 30 people that have good experience in development that we, you know, in time will take on our own development, but also take it on for partners. And that optimizes our cost of capital, de-stresses the balance sheet uh, from time to time, makes the rating agencies and uh, and our debt uh, investors uh, quite happy. So we're going to look at all those options, Jenny. Uh, and I think, you know, over time we'll be, you know, like a number of our other peers where we'll be Looking forward to having some of those types of partners uh, work with us and uh, and hopefully develop a good long-term strategy for development. Great. Would you say that the the volume of conversations you've been having or or inbounds have shifted at all in the last few quarters, or is it really just uh, you know part of the normal course discussions you've been having in the last few years? I'd say it's increased over the last two years um, as we've become more comfortable with our developments reaching completion and ultimately being very successful. I think as I've used a sports analogy, I've always said, you know, we want to start off hitting doubles or triples and don't necessarily have to hit a home run, but definitely don't want to have a strikeout. And all of our six first developments are very strong. Uh, they're at least doubles. And I think I'm now going to say, a, you know, a number of home runs. So for us, getting to the near the end of that process allows us confidence that we can execute shows the market we can execute um, in a multiple of ways. And then I think, you know, over the last two years, we've been in active discussions with, you know, these types of capital partners and we can legitimately say we can do these developments uh, and, uh, but, you know, because they have proof that we can. And so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a nice evolution of the company and, it's it's you know good solid proof of the concept of mixed use development works for this company well. That's great to hear. Thank you. Um, turning over to the the Calgary CSC, could you remind me if there is uh, an agreement already in place with with Empire, or is it you know kind of like a memorandum of understanding? And when you're thinking about uh, the return on this asset, um, could you expand on whether or not that is um, you know should we look at it as a yield based? return um, and not so much based on, on you know, the cost or like how, do, how should we think about um, the potential return from this uh, development? Sure. So yes, we have full documentation in place with Sobeys in terms of the development agreement um, and uh, the lease uh, for the property. I'm not sure the lease is fully signed and finalized, but certainly all the development construction agreements and the letters of understanding on the economics are all in place. I'm not going to give you much detail other than to say that it is, in fact, a spread-based arrangement um, based on a spread over what would be you know, a, market, uh, a market cap rate. So that is the essence of how we do that. So it's a fair proposition for both organizations. Okay, great. Um, and then lastly, just, just back on the reinstatement of the drip premium, just wondering what the, the rationale for that was. Is it, is it tied simply to where the unit prices, or is it just looking at opportunity to, you know, to return to tapping that source of capital in a small way, um, and whether or not uh, you're aware if Empire intends to sort of reinitiate their participation to the same extent they did before um, the premium was removed a few years ago? 
Yeah, so the, the, uh, let's be, the drip itself has never gone away, Jenny. It's just the 3% uh, discount. Right. Uh, so, but from a standpoint of the rationale, it really comes down to just emphasizing multiple sources of capital. We've always said we want to be regular issues of equity, and so this just emphasizes that point. We think the timing's right to, to access the markets on a more steady basis, as well as, uh, to your point about Empire, they will proportionally, uh, they have their 41.5% ownership, so they will maintain that. Uh, throughout uh, on a monthly basis. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I'll turn it back. Thanks. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Your next question comes from Sadamiani with DD. Please go ahead. Thanks and good afternoon. Um, just wanted to uh, start off on on the leverage side uh, with you know the recent equity offering and and the and the drip discount reinstated. Um, in your comments earlier on the call, is there is there a a lowered target leverage ratio, either on a debt to assets or debt to EBITDA that uh, that you're thinking about now, perhaps versus uh, earlier this year or even pre-COVID? No, I, I think the the targets that we have with the rating gauges has been to be below 10 times using their methodology on a sustained basis. Uh, so that's been the target, and so I'd, I'd say there's been no change in that. Okay, and then the the next sort of major development uh, could that get kicked off in 2022, or is is that too early? The next next major development has already been kicked off, uh, Sam, in, in the Calgary CFC, right? Uh, sorry, I meant the mixed use. I meant on mixed use. Oh, sorry. next mix, mixed use. So we have a number of projects. Uh, we haven't. Uh, they're all in the normal course of both the evolution of municipal approvals and. Uh, working on, um, you know, costing, et cetera. There's a number of, you know, we would call it conditions that we want to see in the markets to move forward. So we haven't actually set a date on a number of developments, but there's some at the very end of the development approval process and some we still have a little ways to go. So it's a constant process to develop a pipeline that has a continuous action. Uh, and we're still in the early stages of that pipeline, but I still uh, I, I would say there are a number that are close, um, and um, you know the real goal is ultimately to achieve consistent spending of 150 to 250 million a year on development, and ultimately reach consistent completions uh, at cost of those dollar values, because that's what ultimately drives your NAV growth. I think on a consistent basis that investors understand, and it ultimately drives long-term cash flow growth. So. Um, I'm sorry, I can't give you specifics on the projects. We're, we're just that is, it is development, and it is there's there's uncertainty all the way through until you actually pull the trigger and, and sign contracts for construction. So we will announce it when we're when we're at that point. Yep, and we'll all be staying tuned. And oh, sorry, go ahead. Near-term yep. projects we disclose a number of those are fully entitled and could start in 2022 as well. Yeah. Yes, I was just going to say you're in the fortunate position of having lots to choose from. Um, yeah. Maybe finally, just for Clinton on the uh, sort of bad debt provision side, is, is your outlook for, for Q3 and Q4 a moderation in that respect? And how do you think about the, the burn off of uh, government assistance in that regard? Yeah, we, we've been consistent with our bad debt over the last number of quarters. So I don't see any real change coming out of that for the rest. Subject to, of course, anything you, you never say never in, in the world of pandemics. But uh, from what we're seeing at this point in time, Sam, I don't see much change. Great, thank yeah, you. Sam, I, 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 uh, no, I'll just jump in. I, I would say, you know, for us, we've said if there's risk, it's at the corporate level. We generally progress through our properties have done very well, uh, including Avalon Mall, has stayed open most of the pandemic and uh, has performed probably one of the top five malls in the country. Just because it's been open almost the whole time, and uh, yeah. and our tenant sales have been good. There, uh, many of the reports we're getting, they're they're back to 219 levels, um, and or better. So we're feeling cautiously optimistic, but nevertheless, it's at the corporate level. You never know when there's going to be a surprise. So, uh, but at this at this point, uh, we're feeling, you know, again, cautiously optimistic. Good call. Over. Thanks very much. One of our tenants are open. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Pammy Beer with RBC. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, hi, everyone. Just maybe one question for me. Um, on Broadway and commercial, can you provide an update on, on where that is in the entitlement process? And then uh, secondly, um, 
more of a general question. Uh, you know, once it is, or once it or other projects are successfully rezoned, um, it, would you typically then record that um, or mark that uh, mark that value up for for fair value purposes? Uh, maybe I'll comment on first part of it and turn over the second part of it to uh, to Clinton. But it's uh, it's it's currently in the rezoning process, and we've still got a public hearing to go this fall. And West Bank is very capably leading that, so we're working closely with the City of Vancouver. Um, it's a very difficult area in which to get approvals, but we really I think West Bank's done an exceptional job uh, in a very tough area. The complexity of it is high, and uh, I think West Bank specialty is working through the most complex, uh, you know, challenges and development in Vancouver and delivering very special projects that at the end of the day, the local communities are, are very proud of. Um, and so I'm confident that, you know, we'll continue on in the timeline that we've, uh, you know, we've, we've targeted. Um, in terms of once the land is, uh, or the zoning's done, um, I'll turn that over to Clinton because I believe there is yeah. some recognition at that point. Yeah, Dougie, so our the accounting rules are that we will book a recognition of the land increase. So usually there's a the, the entitlement does have a, a bump in value, but just for the land. Got it. And just can you remind us again, what is the uh, the amount of density that you're seeking there? Uh, off the top of my head, I know the dollars. Uh, in terms of square footage, it is about 640,000 square feet. And most of that would be uh, residential, Donnie? Most of it's residential, yeah. There's 60,000 square feet of retail, 50 of office, um, and then the rest is residential. There's, there's one tower of condo, two towers of purpose-built rental. Perfect. Two towers. Got it. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Ms. Martin, you may proceed. Thank you for your time today, and we look forward to updating you on our progress on our Q3 call in November. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your line. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.